0: The legendary Pele scored his first goal against North American soccer league competition right here on the CBS Sports Spectacular. Since then, the sports superstar has demonstrated his wizardry to league record audiences, transforming an international game into an American spectacle. And today, you'll see him lead the New York Cosmos against the Seattle Sounders.
1: On the CBS Sports Spectacular, a North American Soccer League match from Seattle, Washington, the New York Cosmos versus the Seattle Sounders. Welcome to dynamic Seattle, Washington in the heart of the Pacific Northwest and the Seattle Center in 1962, site of the World's Fair, the famous Space Needle. And now home of the Seattle Sounders of the North American Soccer League. Hi, everybody. I'm Frank Lieber, and this is Bedlam, 18,000 standing room only at Memorial Stadium here in Seattle, Washington, for the North American Soccer League match between the New York Cosmos and their superstar, Pelé, and the Seattle Sounders, both teams leading their respective divisions in the NASL. New York on top of the North, Seattle in the West. It should be a great match. Welcome to Good Seats Still Available, a curious little podcast devoted to exploring what used to be in professional sports. Here's your host, Tim Hanlon. Hello there, everybody. How are you? My name is Tim Hanlon, and this is Good Seat Still Available, our curious little podcast journey each and every week into what used to be in professional sports. Yeah, believe it or not, that's what we do here uh, each and every uh, every week. Uh, we uh, delve into uh, things about teams and leagues, uh, no longer in existence or previous incarnate, previously incarnated, he says. Uh, and um, it's, a, it's a fascinating journey that uh, we're on. We've been doing this for, I don't know, over a year and a half. And uh, all kinds of stories and interesting things that uh, uh, become uh, known to us in our little uh, investigations. And uh, this week is a special treat uh, as we go back into the realm of soccer, North American Soccer League style, the original NASL. And uh, our guest this week is Dave Brett Wasser. And that's a name that uh, many of you soccer enthusiasts out there probably should know uh, in that he is, uh, by all accounts, the um, I guess the king of uh, North American Soccer League uh, game footage uh, out there, even more so than the vaunted uh, and newly uh, relaunched National Soccer Hall of Fame in Frisco, Texas. Uh, Dave uh, has for years uh, been collecting and uh, uh, and archiving uh, just about uh, all of the uh, uh, the game footage that exists out there in the world from the old North American Soccer League. He's got some other stuff too. Uh, but uh, there is nobody uh, on this planet uh, who has more uh, knowledge of and or uh, direct game footage of uh, the old North American Soccer League. And uh, as you'll hear in our conversation, dating back as early as 1973 uh and pretty much consistently uh just about every year thereafter until the demise of the league in uh in late 1984 uh chances are that if it exists uh on earth uh a game uh of the North American Soccer League uh it's in Dave's collection and um he has been the go-to for lots of folks both in the television and production side uh, uh players uh, uh family members of of Former players uh, looking for footage. Uh, Hell, even the uh, National Soccer Hall of Fame itself. Although, as we'll hear uh, in our chat with Dave coming up, uh, not necessarily the most uh, uh, fuzzy uh, and warm relationship, uh, strangely, uh, amongst the two. And you'd think, uh, as we'll get into uh, in our chat, uh, you know, the uh, the best, uh, most natural place, I think, for. Uh, for all of this uh, footage to live and breathe and, and be accessible uh, is probably through the auspices of something like the uh, the National Soccer Hall of Fame. But we'll get into some of the reasons why uh, that is not quite yet the case, and and perhaps maybe some reasons for hope that it will become so. But until then, uh, all of this uh, great footage, uh, some of which is available now on YouTube, and and we'll get to some of the reasons why uh, why Dave has sort of uh, uh, kind of uh, taken down his list of all of the, his available uh, stuff uh because of that but uh largely the collection of his uh remains with him in his home in Austin Texas and if you really want some good background even before uh listening to the this episode uh, i highly encourage you uh to uh check out uh, a column by uh, longtime soccer writer pablo Maurer um uh, for the athletic uh, which is a great uh site it's arguably the new sports illustrated if you will or probably the best sort of source of 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 sports journalism out there. It's well worth uh, subscribing to for this article alone that Pablo wrote uh, back in November. Uh, And the title of that is called how the largest American soccer film archive came to live in a guest room in Austin, Texas. And uh, that guest room is uh, indeed owned by uh, our guest this week, Dave Brett Wasser. And um, I think you're going to find this really interesting. really interesting and uh Dave's a treasure trove of knowledge about this league and, and is it's a, te- a testament frankly to uh how uh memorable uh, some of these games and uh some of the people who uh, inhabited the these games uh were uh in uh in his and uh, a lot of other people's memories uh and uh, a testament to uh his uh his passion for uh trying to essentially collect uh, the best documentation he could of this league and uh, we'll get into that as well as what the future of that uh, of that trove of memories uh, will be uh, going forward. Coming up in a couple of seconds uh, with our guest, Dave uh, Brett Wasser, uh, here on The Big Show. want to remind you that uh, we've got a bunch of great sponsors. Uh, you've heard me tout uh, all of them uh, for many, many weeks, but uh, I'm going to just rattle them off to you, especially as the holidays approach. If you're looking for some great gift ideas for that sort of sports enthusiast, especially that uh, who is interested in uh, the history of sports, especially for, of course, our specialty uh, teams and leagues that uh, are previously incarnated or for whatever reason, no longer with us, defunct and and, and just, you know, R.I.P. Uh, and these are uh, some three great places that you can go to sort of indulge uh, either your or perhaps uh, the interests of some of your loved ones. Uh, or friends who might be interested in uh, in remembering some of those things and uh, sportshistorycollectibles dot com if you want to find great uh, items and uh, uh, memorabilia, if by all means go there early and often. Some great stuff there. Use the promo code uh, at sportshistorycollectibles dot com. Promo code good seats, and you're gonna get fifteen percent off all your purchases there. We thank Dean Mitchell and friends there. Uh, we thank our friends at five zero three sports, and uh, they are they're the king of throwbacks. Uh, if you want sort of uh, uh, not only uh, great shirts of, of teams and leagues no longer with us, but also uh, some uh, handcrafted uh, small batch created uh, uniforms, throwback uniforms of some of uh, of the great teams and leagues no longer with us, especially in the realm of professional football like the old WFL and the World League of American Football and the XFL, etc. World Football League. Uh, that is at is 503-sports.com. Uh, make sure you use the promo code there. And that's SEATS. And you're going to get 10% off all of your purchases there. And of course, oldschoolshirts.com, uh, where you're probably going to find the best array of high quality uh, logo branded uh, T-shirts, uh, not only of uh, great teams and leagues no longer with us, but also of uh, uh, great memories from things like shopping malls and uh, radio station logos and and other amusement parks, all these kinds of things from from things from your uh, from your uh, past uh, uh, memories and uh, they are uh, waiting for you to be remembered and purchased and worn uh, from your friends at OldSchoolShirts.com. And you want to use the promo code there. That's also Good Seats. And you're going to get 10% off all your purchases there. So make sure you check out all those sites at SportsHistoryCollectibles.com, promo code Good Seats. OldSchoolShirts.com, promo code Good Seats. Or 503-Sports.com, uh, use the promo code Seats there. And all of those places are uh, worth your time. And uh, we appreciate all of them for being sponsors of this show. And uh, I we uh, thank you for uh, all of you who have uh, partaken of uh, of their great uh, their great stuff. I we appreciate all your commentary uh, and uh, all your good uh, wishes. And uh, we uh, thank you for patronizing uh, these sites as well. And you keep our lights on, too, by doing so. And we we greatly appreciate that, of course. All right. So uh, we uh, greatly appreciate you continuing to listen uh, to our very fun conversation uh, with uh, the great Dave Brett Wasser uh, of Austin, Texas fame. Uh, And uh, we're going to get into this uh, amazing uh, one of a kind uh, collection of North American Soccer League uh, uh, game footage uh, that he has collected over the years and uh, the rationale and the passion behind it. And uh, some interesting stories about uh, what's come of it and maybe what happens to it uh, in the months and years ahead. And here's our conversation with Dave that we had just a couple of days ago.
0: I grew up in New York City in uh, in the 1970s, and I was a fan of all sports. It wasn't just soccer. Um, I was a fan of my, my grandfather was a huge baseball fan. So he would take me to Yankees and Mets games and. Um, I love the jets and the giants. I love the New York Rangers, uh, and the cosmos as well. Um, I became a bigger soccer fan as an adult. I think when I was growing up, I was, I liked soccer equally well, well along with the other sports. Uh, now I'm primarily a soccer fan. Um, and, you know, I grew up watching the Cosmos on WRTV, Channel 9, as I'm sure you did as well, because you were in the New York metropolitan area. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, the, the voice of Jim Carvellis and Seamus Mallon calling the Cosmos games. And I used to love the way the games always started with Jim Carvellis saying, this is Cosmos soccer. Um, you know, the, the amazing thing... I, I mean, one of the many ways that soccer is so different now than it was back then is that for 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 us growing up, the Cosmos were the only soccer on TV. That was it. There was, I mean, I wasn't even aware that the U.S. national soccer team existed in those days because it was never on television. I didn't, I don't recall ever seeing any news about it or uh, international soccer it was was barely on TV. There was a show on PBS called Soccer Made in Germany which I only became aware of years later. I wasn't even aware of it at the time. Uh, and I probably wouldn't even have watched it at that time because I wasn't interested in what was going on on the other side of the world. Uh, and, you know, so so the Cosmos were in. I mean, I don't even think I watched a soccer game featuring a team other than the Cosmos until around like 1986 after the Cosmos were gone. Um, and you know, I mean, now you you know now of course we have we have so many choices, and that's a problem for MLS because MLS has to sh- compete with all the other leagues. Uh, the, one of the the uh, real advantages the NASL had is that they were the only game in town, the only soccer game. Um, I, I didn't go to many soccer games because my parents weren't into it. Um, you know, the, the Cosmos played out of the Meadowlands, and I had no way of getting out there uh, with my friends. Um, you know, I lived in, I grew up in Manhattan. Uh, I think I went to one Cosmos game at the Meadowlands in those days. Um, I think it was in 1979. Uh, and, you know, for me, I mean, I, I, my story is I, I grew up watching sports and loving sports and. In, in the 1970s and the 1980s, and then sometime around like the early 90s, I started to get nostalgic for the games and, and the players that I had watched growing up. And I wanted to see those games. I had an emotional attachment to those games. Now, I recognize that I have a different way of looking at this is, than than many people and many sports fans. Many people don't really care about what happened in the past. Um I mean, Henry Ford famously said, history is bunk. Uh, he didn't care. He said, I don't care what happened before. I care about care what's happening now. Well, I care about what's happening now, too. In fact, I care about what's happening now even more than what happened in the past. But I, I have an emotional attachment to certain things from the past. Um, and I, I wanted to see the, the games that I had watched. Unfortunately, you know, the, 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 the games, the original broadcast of the games were not and are still are not commercially available. Um, you can walk, walk into a movie store and buy a copy of a movie that you watched in 1977, but you can't walk walk into a video store and and buy a copy of a game you watched back then. Uh, so I was curious to know whether anybody had actually recorded these games. Um, my family didn't have a VCR until the early 1980s, and in those days, you know, blank videotapes were expensive, so I, I didn't record a single soccer game. I think the, the first soccer game I recorded was, you know, in the early 90s. Um, but I was curious to know whether anybody had. And uh, before I started this this detective work to, to track down all these old NESL videos, I thought I'd, I'd if I'm lucky I'll find maybe 10 or 20 videos of Cosmos games. Uh, I ended up finding about 75, um, and in fact I've ended up finding about 400 videos of NESL games, which is uh, uh, still surprising to me. Um, considering how expensive VCRs were and how expensive videotape was, yet there were some people, a few people, who really you know, religiously recorded these games, um, the trick to finding the old games, a lot of former players had collections of old tapes. Um, because not that the players themselves recorded the games, but a lot of players had a family member who anticipated that someday years later, that their, their relative would, would want to watch tapes of games that they played in. So a lot of players had like an uncle or somebody who recorded games. Um, that's, that's how I ended up getting a lot of copies of games from former players, um, uh the league itself, the NESL itself, had a had a huge storage of, of old games, which were distributed when the league uh, folded in early 1985. Those tapes were distributed to um, various players and coaches. You know, The, the, the league office was – they had to empty all the contents of the league office, and they didn't want to throw the tapes away. So they started calling around people and saying, hey, we've got the, the tapes of a bunch of games that you may be in, but you like them. And the league office then sent out th- – those tapes were actually – on, a, on an older format known as umatic, uh which is an hour-long video format, it's actually bigger and bulkier tape. And the, the irony is that a lot of the players that I found had these UMatic tapes uh, that they either got from the team or the league, it's, the team they played on or the league itself, and they didn't even have any equipment to play them on. Um, I bought a used Umatic machine and uh, years ago, and I said to people, well, "If you send me your umatic tapes, I'll copy them. I'll transfer them to videotape, or years later to DVD." and i'll send them back to you along with copies and that was how i that was how i acquired a lot of these tapes uh you know it, it's remarkable when you think about it um I, I by the way i also collect videos of of, of the other sports that i love like i have a, about several hundred videos of old nfl games uh and uh but then i never listed those on the website because i didn't want to incur the wrath of the national football league <laughs> I also have a lot of old uh, baseball games as well. Now Tim did you do you uh, do you collect videos of these games?
1: Well and, no and I, what- you say that because uh, over the years uh I have uh, parted with uh, a number of checks you may not remember but uh Yeah, you- I forget, I'm sorry. No, that's, that's all right. <laughs> Thank you. I have said I have I have uh, collected a number of some of them I still have on on tape and some of them I have on DVD. But, no, I, I've been a, a regular, uh, I you know, you sort of, a, a, you know, a junkie, shall we say. Now,
0: now, did I send you just soccer games, or did I send you videos of other sports as well? No, I, don't
1: I, even I, think, it was, no, I think it was just soccer games. But, I mean, to me, oh, okay. I, I, too, was fascinated by, and, you know, to me, you know, growing up as a kid in northern New Jersey, I was a little easier to get to to games and stuff, and we had season tickets for the Cosmos. You know, that was a oh, tr- yeah. truly yeah. an amazing, you know, amazing time, and only more, made more, um, I don't know, more uh, important and in, uh, uh, indelible as the years went on, because you sort of see all the, you know, the rise today of, the, of how much money is in the game and and the super teams yeah. like the Chelsea's of, you know, five, yeah. six years ago. The Cosmos, right, were, you know, a gigantic, big, white, hot comet of, uh, of yeah. excitement yeah. on the world stage. Uh, it was a New York phenomenon. It was a global soccer phenomenon you had i mean it was you know andy warhol was again i mean it was this craziness I know, I know. right and and, oh, and to it not it get wrapped up was. in that it's right it.
0: but but uh, here's the thing i've come i've come around on this i used to think the cosmos were good for american soccer i've now come to the view that they were actually bad for american soccer here's why there was such a competitive imbalance it wasn't good for the game to have one team so dominant year after year. I mean, between 1977 and 1982, the Cosmos won four of six championships between those years. Uh, it's it's still, I mean, one of the greatest upsets in NFL history was when the Whitecaps knocked the Cosmos out of the semifinal in, in 1979. And I still consider that, I consider that, by the way, the greatest game in NESL history. Uh, we can talk about that later. Uh, but, yeah, I don't, you know, yeah, having all those stars on one team, I don't think it was really good for the league. I think a lot of fans in a lot of cities kind of looked at this and said, well, what, what chances does our team have? You know, it was good for New York, but, but was it good for the league as a whole? I don't think it was. Do you do you agree with me or do you disagree with me
1: on that? Well, I you know I, it's a good question. I'm not, I'm not sure, uh, and it's hard for me to separate my uh, how I became hooked on the game. Obviously, you know, going to games, but also I was playing, which was a fair rarity. You know, uh, although in the New York New Jersey metropolitan area was probably easier than than most places in the United States in the early mid 1970s as a kid uh, having good soccer programs and coaches and, and, you know, people into the game. But, you know, in 1976, you know, Bobby Smith and and Bob Rigby, right. Uh, of the New York Cosmos, right. Came to my town yeah. to hand out our soccer trophies for the season. Right. And you know what, what's, really? <laughs> what's this, what's this Cosmos thing all about? And they play in Yankee stadium and what, you know, and, and, and then, you know, then the next year they're playing at giant stadium, which is literally, you know, a, a hop, skip and a jump from my house. Um, so, but I you know, I think you're right. Uh, I, you know, but I also think you know, without them, you wonder, uh, you know, and we and maybe I could sort of segue into uh you know, sort of the history of the North American soccer league. we've delved in that uh, into that a little bit yeah. on the show uh, with both direct and indirect uh, participants, shall we say um you know, i it it I remember vividly in nineteen I don't know it was nineteen eighty nineteen seventy eight or seventy nine. The New York Daily News, back when it was you know actually worth reading, um, actually had a uh, uh, a uh, point counterpoint on whether to break up the Cosmos, and I think uh, yes was I don't know who it was some some cynic, and then no it was Phil Woosnam right the commissioner of the North American Soccer League saying you know this yeah. is the greatest thing, and I think through his eyes right this was this was you know by any means necessary especially given the North American Soccer League's near-death experience, you know, merely five or six years prior, uh, that this was a worldwide uh, uh, marketing calling card, right, for the sport of soccer, the United States, breaking through, um, and I guess, you know, kind of what by any means necessary to sort of get that across uh, the transom of the American sports landscape.
0: Yeah, no, no, Phil Wilson himself in interviews later in life said that his biggest mistake in life was not instituting a salary cap in the NASL. So he recognized well, years later what a mistake that was. With so a salary cap, there wouldn't have been any star-studded New York Cosmos. Um, you know, look, it's easy for him to say that in retrospect because because of what happened to the league. And, you know, and um, but yeah, I think you know if, if if the if the MLS learned one lesson from the NASL, it was the need for a salary cap. Of course, if the NASL had put in a salary cap in the, in the late 1970s, they would have been the first league to do so. I mean, no no league had ever tried anything like that. You know, but it would have helped. I think, yeah, it would have broken up the cosmos. But it would help the league as a whole.
1: Um, well, it, know, also, it I, also it also speaks to, and we've we've delved in this topic a bit on the show, just not not soccer gener- uh, specifically only, but uh, but other sports too. Is this idea of, you know, do you like major league soccer? Maybe to its credit, although it's getting a little long in the tooth now. Central ownership. Right. Versus yeah. the franchise model. Right. And there's no make no mistake. Right. And then we've talked to Clive Toy about this, for example, you know, the idea of franchises. Right. You know, Phil Woosnum saw the money. Right. There were people in 1977 ish who kind of said, you know, we'll 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 buy franchises. And and that's why they went from, you know, 16 to 24 teams, I think, in the span of one year, 18 yeah. to 24 teams. Right. And right. and and, you know, people like Toy would say, you know, half of them probably shouldn't have been there in the first place yet. Very alluring when you have a franchise model. So, I don't know. Again, by any means necessary, right, I guess is, you know, through the lens of history.
0: Yeah, and, and look, some of these underfunded teams would have done fine if if the, if the market had just taken off and, and, and the fans had packed the stadiums, uh, you know, then nobody would have known that the, that the owners really didn't have – very deep pockets. It was only because in, in many cases, the, 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 team struggled. And then it became clear that these, these guys couldn't withstand, you know, years of losses. Um, I mean, but look, MLS, MLS has had years of losses, but they have owners who could afford that. Um, you know, another, another, when you, when you, uh, another thing, when you look back at the NESL and not only was there a problem with the in- competitive imbalance, but just the stadiums they were playing in were often terrible for soccer. I mean, and and, and that was a problem for MLS in the first ten years. Remember, I, in the early years of MLS, they were often playing on stadium on, on stadiums which had American football gridlines. Now, now you almost never see that in, in, in MLS. But you know, you look at I think maybe half of the tapes in my collection are games played either on American football gridlines or or even worse over a baseball field. Um and there, and the stadiums were way too large. Uh I mean not not in the case of the Cosmos. Cosmos and, and you know and Tampa did very well. Tampa's stadium was often filled. Um Minnesota did very well. So a few markets the stadium was a, was the right size, but overall, I mean, a lot of these markets, you know, they should have should have been playing in smaller stadiums, but the ownership in those days had couldn't possibly afford to build their own stadiums. Uh, there wasn't, that wasn't even an option. They had to play in, in these, you know, large gigantic football stadiums and baseball stadiums and, and they paid a big price for it. Um, although that wasn't part of the consciousness at the time. I mean, it wasn't until years later that, people started thinking about getting the sport of soccer into the right kind of stadium. I I don't remember in in the seventies or eighties, anyone talking about stadiums and how to get, you know, because I suppose, because at the time building a new stadium, wasn't even a, wasn't a a possibility. So it was just, you just took what you could get. Um, But that, that hurt the NASL tremendously. Um, You know, uh, and, 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 and I mean, we we could we could go on and on about all the different problems the NFL had, but let's let's stay, stay positive. Let's talk about the good things that they did. Well, yeah, let's
1: let's uh, rewind, <laughs> let's rewind a little bit. So, at what point, yeah. you know, when you decided that hey, you know, there, there's there's got to be some some evidence, some some you know uh, uh, tapes of, uh, of some of the games that I remember floating around out there. Mm-hmm. At what point uh, in your journey did it sort of become sort of go from sort of a curiosity to I can't think of a better word obsession.
0: Ah, uh, good question. I, I, you know, I guess um, I, I went to graduate school for philosophy in the late 90s. Uh, and then in 1999, I got my master's degree. And uh, I kind of shifted from philosophy to this. <laughs> and, you know, it, yeah, it did become an obsession. It just became I, I was just, you know, curious. I I, I I'd, I'd read about a game. Um, and I think, oh, man, I wonder if that's out there. Uh, and in some cases, you know, the tape was out there. I mean, I'm, I'm astounded to find, um, some of the, some of the things I've had a few of the games I've never found, you know, there's a, there's a famous game that played in 1977 when the, when the Cosmos I think, sold out giant stadium for the first time, uh, it was a playoff game against Fort Lauderdale. Never found a tape of that game. That game, by the way, also was not in the Cosmos archive, um, the, the archive that Pepe Pintin maintained for years. Pepe Pintin, of course, is the person who uh, – he was the last employee of the Cosmos in 1985, and so he got the ar- video archive. And then years later, he sold it to the new people who bought the Cosmos um, And so that video archive has now gone through several different ownership. Um, But yeah, the the 77 playoff game against uh, Fort Lauderdale um, was known as the 77,000 game. And um, Yeah, I've never found that, unfortunately. Uh, That that game, by the way, here's a funny story about that game. Ron Newman, sadly, who just passed away a few months ago, was the coach of the Fort Lauderdale Strikers, and he always maintained that the Pony Shoe Company helped the Cosmos win that game. Uh, the, The Pony Shoe Company, the Cosmos had some kind of advertising deal with Pony Shoe Company, and then the Cosmos players appeared in p- Pony ads. Uh, and, the, and he says that the, the Pony Shoe Company gave the Cosmos a better cleat for that game because the, the AstroTurf at Giant Stadium was wet and slick. It had been raining all day, and the, the Pony Shoe Company gave the Cosmos a cleat that was designed for a slick AstroTurf. Uh, he always says that the fix was in on that game. Who knows <laughs> why well, I'd, I'd have to see that game to see. That's another reason why I'd love to find the tape of that game to see whether the strikers playing players slipping on the field more than the console players. I, who knows? Do you know, Tim, do you remember that game? Did you watch that game on TV? Yeah, I, I, were you I, at that? I, were you at that game? No, I, you know,
1: I, I, I was, no, I was, uh, esconced, uh, away at, uh, uh, Boy Scout, uh, camp, uh, in Northern, uh, the state of new york and pouring rain and and it was a sore subject because my parents of course dutifully mailed the program to me the the next day uh and ah. what a great game it was but uh, i went to the the other games before they uh, ultimately won the championship but um yeah i they uh i do i do remember some of the footage right in the so they the the cosmos did a very good job of recording uh i guess sideline camera stuff right that was not broadcast yeah right
0: Right, right, right. Yeah, there was a one guy, a, doc, a filmmaker whose name escapes me right now, uh, who was a, he? Had a, he had access. He had a uh, he had, had access to the sidelines, and he would often stand behind the goal. And he every he was the one who made the annual Cosmos highlight films, and um, and so a lot of the a lot of the goals in those highlight films were shot from his camera. I think he was he was the one holding the camera uh, from behind the goal. And so in the, in the 77 Cosmos highlight film, you see highlights of that of that Strikers-Cosmos playoff game, and you can see the, the Cosmos goals, but, you know, it would be nice to see the whole game. I, I'm the kind of guy, I, I you know, I, highlights are okay, but I, I want to see the whole game. I want to see, to me, like, the highlights are far more interesting in the context of the game itself. You know, just seeing somebody score a goal or seeing somebody score a touchdown is far less interesting than to see how that play developed, you know.
1: To to me, you know, I I think maybe a lot of our listeners, especially those who grew up or or remember the NASL, probably have their own sort of uh, games and memories. And and some of them obviously have been dutifully found and and recorded and maybe shared uh, from you. Um, But, you know, I I, to me, my whole my personal holy grail is uh, 1978. uh, The uh, Cosmos were in. Uh, a two-game series, which was obviously then with a mini oh, yeah. game. Oh yeah, it's
0: Minnesota. Yeah, the Minnesota yeah. kicks
1: oh. right, uh, and they, they got pasted nine to two at, at Minnesota. The Cosmos did, and then they came back and won uh, the regular game, and then the uh, the mini game plus shootout, right? Which was actually a bit of a precursor to the '79 game you referenced earlier. But um, WOR certainly covered that first game. I know that I haven't seen that out there. Uh, and then no I have
0: the I, I, I have the first half of that game. I found I found a uh, recording of the first half of the game, and unfortunately, the guy—it was such a bad game that like he he just recorded over the second half. I can tell you the first half if you like to see it. <laughs> uh, the Minnesota kicks were leading three nothing at halftime. I don't think I ever put that first half of the game on the on the website because I thought, well, people aren't gonna just want to watch the first half; they're gonna watch watch want to watch the whole thing. Uh, but I've never found a tape of the of the return game in New York, and that was that was the much better game. Um, yeah. That was an incredible series. I, you know, I'm, I don't know. I, we can take a diversion here. I I've never been a fan of the two game series format in soccer. Uh, and I know I, I just read a few days ago that apparently MLS is is planning on dropping the two game format in the playoffs. They're apparently they're moving towards a single elimination playoff, I, which I think is probably better for the league. Uh, how do you feel about that? Do you prefer a two game play- series or a, or a single game?
1: Well, I don't know. I think you know I I, I kind of like the excitement of of having uh, you know two sort of home games, I guess. But the aggregate goal thing gets a little confusing. Uh, arguably, it really
0: does. It's very
1: confusing. Not so- I, I also, I, you know, I, but I do think perhaps that that could be something that would make the regular season a little bit more uh, important, right? Is that a home field advantage right. for the one game kind of thing. Right. Um, right. There's
0: no home field advantage in a two game series. I mean, they, they try to pretend that there is, but of course there isn't. Uh, yeah, in a, in a single elimination game, there would be a home field advantage. Yeah. Uh, the problem I have with a single, the two game series, especially when it's an aggregate goal series, is that if the first game is close, then that game tends to be just anticlimactic. You know, it's a close game. Well, everyone leaves thinking, all right, well, this will be decided in the second game. If the first game is a blowout, then the second game becomes meaningless. So it almost like either way, one of those two games is is not going to matter. Of course, in the NESL, it was an aggregate goal. It wasn't that way. It was, it was you know, uh, so, so even if you, the Cosmos got blown out nine to two, in the first game, they could still come back and win the series by winning the second game and then winning the mini game. In fact, I talked to Alan Willie. Uh, when Alan Willie got inducted to the National Soccer Hall of Fame, I asked him, he, he was the, the striker on the Minnesota Kicks, and I asked him about that game. And I said, what was the lo- attitude in the locker room in the, after the Kicks lost that second game and the minigame in New York? And he said it was just devastating. He said he'd never seen players look so despondent. And he said they were angry because they felt that, oh, if only this had been aggregate goal rather than, you know, that then, then they would have been on top by aggregate goals. But that wasn't the format. So, uh, yeah, that was, I mean, they came so close in that game. Uh, And, and, you know, looking back on it again, it would have been better for soccer in America. If Minnesota had won that game, (laughs) because I think that was around the time people just, just started getting sick of watching the cosmos constantly win everything. So, um, you know, I, I was rooting for the Cosmos in that game. But in retrospect, I wish Minnesota had won.
1: Well, before the Cosmos and maybe aside from them, um, g- give us a sense of 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 where you uh, sort of found uh, all these games, how far back you were able to go. Uh, and, and maybe some of the networks or the stations that sort of stood out as either, you know, good uh, broadcasters and producers of these games and or treasure troves that you might have stumbled across.
0: Well, the the earliest recordings that I have from home VCRs uh were are from 1978. Uh, the Sony Betamax machine was was commercially available in 1977. Um and and then I found this man in Illinois, um an elderly man in Illinois who uh started recording soccer games in 1978. I, and he had a set, Not only did he have a VCR before almost anybody did in 78, but he also had a satellite dish. So he was able to get gay out of market games he was able to get you know broadcasts that were nowhere near Illinois through the satellite dish and i mean i got i got two of the great playoff games uh, from 1978 there's a, a strikers the i think Detroit Express game between the Detroit Express and strikers it was a, it's a wonderful game that um that I got from him uh, prior to 1978, you know, video, by the way, video recording technology was invented, I believe, in, in the late 1950s. The earliest. Here's a little trivia for your listeners. The, the, the earliest known recording of a videotape recording is of the uh, kitchen debate between Richard Nixon and, and Nikita Khrushchev. In, and was it? that was when Richard Nixon was vice president, I think, in 58 or 59. I have that, by the way, and it, it still looks pretty good all these years later um and in in the 1960s and and, and 70s up until 1977 video recording equipment was in professional settings it was in television studios it was in um you know, the networks had video recording and, um, AB of the three networks, ABC was the best at recording. Rune Arledge was, was very much, you know, had the foresight to know that, that, that tapes of these games would be useful years later. And so he, like he recorded every, he had ABC record every Monday night football game. And most of what was on, most of the sports that appeared on ABC in the 1970s was recorded by ABC, um cbs recorded some things and not others nbc by the way was the worst nbc recorded very little and, and and that's why nbc had the american football conference in the 1970s and many of the great afc playoff games of the 1970s featuring the pittsburgh steelers and the oakland raiders are lost to history because nbc did not record them whereas some of the nfc playoff games from the 1970s are available because cbs recorded them um but getting 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 back to soccer, I I found I mean I, you know sometimes it's, it's not it's not even possible to tell where the tape came from. I mean I somebody I mean there was a there was a regional sports network known as TVS uh, in the 1970s, and I guess those guess TVS itself recorded a, a bunch of their broadcasts of games, and who knows, I mean, whoever I got them from just got them from somebody, and you know. Who knows where, how it ended up in my hands, but it did. Um, And, um, you know, I mean, I'm surprised. For example, one of the early, the earliest NESL game I have is the 1973 championship game played in Texas Stadium between the Philadelphia Adams and the Dallas Tornado. Uh, this was, by the way, Kyle Roach Jr.'s rookie season. He was the rookie of the year that year, and uh, the Philadelphia Adams were an expansion team, um, one of the only expansion teams in professional sports history that won a championship in their first year, and that's amazing. Again, I found, you know, I found that was it was that game was recorded on pneumatic tape, so it was on two tapes, and the, the tapes got separated. I found one half of that game at the the Texas. Sports Hall of Fame in Waco, they had it in their archives. I just called up the, the, the curator of that museum and said, you know, you, I live here in Austin. I'm an hour south of you. Do you happen to have any NESO games? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, we do. We got, we've got half of a game from 1973. And so, so I said, oh, good, great. I, I'd love to see it. Uh, and then I, I don't remember even where the other half came from. Um, it, 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 it's almost, I, I, you know, it's hard to know how <laughs> these how these tapes ended up in some of the people who ended up owning them. Um, and, and of course, you know, you know, now um, the, 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 you, I know you want to probably curious to know why I closed down my website. I, I, I started my website, as I said, I've gone out of graduate school in 1999 and then I think it started the website shortly after I left graduate school where I listed all the tapes that I had. And I ended up closing it down last year because so many of the games are now on YouTube most of the NESL games in my collection are are, are on YouTube. And so I feel people can just watch them there. They don't need to get them from me. Uh, and there's a, a sort of a placeholder on my website, which just says that, look, I felt that at this point, my site, my archive has become kind of obsolete. Now, unfortunately, some of many of the games in my collection are not on YouTube and uh, those games, I uh, they're just they're not going to be available. Um, but um, I, I still, I still copy games for people if they really want to see an old game um, but, but at this point, I feel like YouTube has kind of made my collection obsolete.
1: Well, I, look, I don't know about that. Right. I mean, you know, so you've got people like myself, right. Who kind of delve back into, and, and, and I, look, I, you know, I think, um, you know, what I've discovered in this little journey is that, uh, you know, there are a lot of, uh, of great memories, especially, and, uh, you know, you look at say major league soccer and the sort of, uh, I'm gonna call it whitewash per se. I mean, there are teams that did yeah. borrow names from the old NASL, like the Timbers and the Sounders, et cetera. Uh but you know there this is sort of an arms length relationship, if any, with the past the ML, uh, MLS does oh right?
0: oh sure, oh, oh, no question about that but look when m l s started in 1996, they made a conscious decision to distance themselves from soccer's past because- and i and I understand why i mean at the time, I resented that decision, but I understand why they don't want to be associated with what many people regard as a failure um uh, well, of course, the NASL, it's too simplistic to say that the NASL was a failure. The NASL was both a success and a failure. It was a success for a number of years, and then it was a failure at the end. Um, you know, uh, look, uh, the American people in in the early 1980s just lost interest in soccer. And I'm not even sure that that was the NASL's fault. Uh, you know, it's hard to, I, I've had this discussion, by the way, with many, many soccer fans over the years and people who were, are alive and remember the early 1980s. And I've asked them, why did people stop watching soccer in the early 1980s? And there's never been any really clear answer. Nobody is really quite sure. It was sort of a cultural trend, cultural shift away from the sport of soccer. Um, You know, look, eventually it came back. Um, And I think the, the, the single most important event in the history of soccer in this country was the 1994 World Cup that was what created so many new soccer fans. And that was what brought a lot of people back to the game. A lot of people who had, you know, had just very little interest suddenly took interest when the world cup came here. And that's why it's so important. The world cup is coming back into 2026 because hosting the world cup brings a new level of attention to the game. Um, but, you know, in, in the early eighties, it was um, it was just, it was such, such a struggle. I mean, I, you know, on a social level, I mean, I remember like the late 70s up until like 81 or 82, I remember like my friends were always talking about soccer. And then like my friends stopped talking about it around like 82, 83. And so I stopped caring about it, you know, because you tend to care about what the people around you care about. And, you know, even even I sort of lost interest in soccer between around 83 and, and 1990. Um, I kind of... Barely watched the game. Of course, back in those days, there wasn't much soccer on television. I mean, the only soccer on television was indoor soccer. Um, and then when the USA qualified for the World Cup in 1990, that kind of brought me back. Uh, although, here's the thing. I couldn't watch the USA games, the 1990 World Cup, because they were on a, a cable network that was not on my cable system in those
1: days. TNT. Turner. Yes,
0: <laughs> right. Turner. Right. Yeah, TNT was not on Arlington Cable, and so I could not watch the games, unfortunately. Um, uh, yeah, the, the world has changed quite a bit, even since 1990.
1: Um, well, going going back to your trove here for a second. So uh, what would you sort of consider your most uh, uh, prized possession, like the one that sort of was like, you know, uh, the the coup de grace, so to speak, like the, the holy grail that you found? And frankly, what about the ones that, that have, have, have eluded you, whether they don't exist or you just don't find them?
0: Uh, well, the, 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 I, I think my my favorite game is that 1979 semifinal game I mentioned between the Cosmos and the Vancouver Whitecaps. Um, Vancouver Whitecaps, of course, were had a very different identity. The Cosmos, the Cosmos were international. They had players from South America. They had players from Germany and Holland and. Uh, the, the Whitecaps were largely English. Uh, they had a, a, most of their team were former, you know, were players who had played in the English first division. They even had a couple of guys, I think who were on the 1966 World Cup winning team for England. I think Alan Ball from the 1966, uh, England team was on that Whitecaps team. Um, and they, the, 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 it was again, it was a two game series. The first game was in uh, Vancouver and Vancouver won, um, uh, they won 2 nothing, and uh, the second goal, I think, was disputed because they, the Cosmos thought that the Vancouver player was offside. The replay showed he was not offside. And I think a Cosmos player and actually got uh, – Carlos Alberto got uh, red-carded at the end of the first game, so he wasn't even in the second game, uh, protesting, I think, that, that offside Called the non offsides call, and then the second game uh, we, I remember watching it it was on uh, ABC in 1979 was the year ABC, by the way, had a three-year contract to show the NASL. 79, 80, and 81, the, the ratings were were poor in 1980, and so ABC didn't even show any games in 1981. I think the only game ABC showed in 81 was the Soccer Bowl. Uh, but, the, deep, but the
1: but the at that, by the way, and, so that's
0: right. Oh, that's right. Oh. And 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 tape delayed in Chicago. We the 81 soccer ball was in the Chicago Sting on the Cosmos. The Sting won uh, in the shootout at the end. And uh, here's a funny story. About one of the, my favorite people from soccer in those days is Lee Stern, the man who owned the Chicago Sting. I, I called him up and said, I was, I said, said, you know, Lee, I i love this, you know, soccer. I collect these videos. I'm gonna be in Chicago. And he said, Oh, come by my office. Come in, come in. And he, I, said, I said, Oh great. I come into his office and he starts showing me all this memorabilia from his the sting days and shows me old news clippings. And it, I mean he's such a nice man. Uh and I asked him about that nineteen eighty one soccer bowl and, and he oh my God, it's, it's, it's like his face turned red. He said he said they didn't show it live because they were showing a rerun of the love boat. Oh, and he, he I mean, years later, he was still angry that the uh, ABC affiliate in Chicago thought a rerun of the love boat was more important than showing the the soccer ball. So the soccer ball I think was showing in Chicago starting at like midnight. So it didn't end until like well after 2am or I think that's what it was. So, yeah, I mean, one of the many, many struggles and frustrations of soccer fans in those days. Um, But getting back to the the game, what you asked about that 79 game, that, that, uh, so the second game was in New York. It was on ABC's, it was on ABC on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, it was a real back and forth affair. Uh, Ricky Davis was playing in that game. That was his rookie season. Uh, that was special because he was an American. He was the best American player at that time. Um, you know, Beckenbauer was in that game, of course, Canalia. Um, and, uh, and, and and I think it was it was just, you know, the Cosmos seemed invincible in those days. Just Everyone, including me, just thought, okay, well, they'll find a way to win and they they won the second game so now the series was even and it went to the mini game and then it went to the shootout uh at the end of the mini game and the the white caps won the shootout and i remember just sitting there in stunned silence like how how is it possible the cosmos are not going to win again you know uh and um you know uh, that to me, I mean, that, just just the sheer drama of that game and how it went to the mini game and 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 uh, how it was on, it was on ABC. And it was that to me was the the, the 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 greatest NESL game. And and I was that was that man in Illinois who had recorded that game. So I was when uh, when a tape a package arrived in the mail from him and it said seventy nine Whitecaps Cosmos. I said, Ooh, <laughs> I found it.
1: And I was at uh, that game I was at. Right. And to be able to watch, how were you? Well, to be able to, yeah. to see that through the prism of, of the actual broadcast. Right. Um, you know, when I was in the stands, right, I did not see in the beginning of that game uh, the little vignette that uh, that Jim McKay did. He hosted Well, he hosted at the beginning of the top of the broadcast. Right. He had. Yeah. He had Ahmed Erdogan from from the Cosmos arguing still that red card for and Phil Wosdom defending the decision. And it almost looked like it came to blows before the game even started in the booth. Uh, and, that was, you know, <laughs> well, and that was fascinating. You know, and Vern Lundquist, you know, getting flummoxed by various calls made or not made and offsides call, whatever. And he couldn't get the answer from from the linesman and stuff. And he, you could see that that Fern was, you know, perturbed by sort of the lack of information that he was, frankly, not being given. And Jim McKay trying to say, you stay on the you stay on the case Vern." I mean, it, it was a quintessential, like almost a microcosm, I guess, of the of the league itself, all in one three plus hour package.
0: Right, right, right. Uh and there was a disputed goal in that, that game as well. There was a ball that hit the a, a white cap shot that hit the underside of the Cosmos crossbar and then went straight down. And I remember showing, they're showing it on replay saying, well, is the whole ball past the line. Well, it was, it was not called a goal. I think that was probably the right call, but there was, you know, so it even had some, some, there was even a dispute in that one. Um, yeah, that was, that was an amazing game. And, um, you can look back and think about what might have been. I mean, you always wonder if more people had been watching that game, would they have become soccer fans? Well, who knows?
1: All right, time for me to catch my breath, get a cool, tasty beverage, and uh, remind you while we do so that uh, our friends at Audible uh, are here to uh, remind you that uh, you can get a free audiobook download. Uh, of your choice from over 180,000 titles. Uh, if you go to audibletrial.com/goodseats and uh, use that link, of course, to uh, try for yourself a free audiobook on us, uh, gratis, if you will. And you will love the idea of audiobooks. It's uh, it's an awesome way to kill time uh, and uh, occupy and stimulate your mind, uh, perhaps when your eyes are busy uh, doing uh, something else. And, of course, there are plenty of uh, interesting books to be found, especially in the world of sports and sports history. And I think our audience might enjoy a few of these, of course, including... Uh, the seminal work by uh, baseball uh, legend Jim Bouton. It's called Ball Four. It is uh, not only written, but it's also narrated by him. You could use your free credit for that book. And, of course, as you know, Ball Four uh, centers around the 1969 uh, one-year wonder that is the uh, yeah, there was the Seattle Pilots of Major League Baseball, but obviously the, uh, the background for a whole lot of other observations about the sport of baseball. And it remains to this day uh, perhaps uh, – one of the most celebrated writings about the sport of baseball uh, in this country. Of course, you can also, if you're not a big baseball fan, you can go into the world of soccer uh, with uh, the autobiography called My Turn by Johan Cruyff, the uh, uh, late Johan Cruyff, uh, perhaps one of the world's best ever uh, soccer players. Uh, he of Dutch heritage, of course, uh, plenty of uh, a great legendary years at club play as well as national team play. Uh, for the dutch team as well as for our audience maybe a little bit of interest uh, his journeys in the north american soccer league in the late 70s and early 80s with the uh, washington diplomats uh, and the uh, los angeles aztecs and of course if you're into football uh, there's probably no better book especially if you find yourself uh, really interested in the sort of deep and rich history of the nfl with uh the book called nfl football a history of america's new national pastime it is written by richard Crepo and narrated by marlon may that too uh, is uh, an audiobook that you could choose from over, like I said, uh, 180,000 titles. Uh, there's got to be something in there that's going to be of interest to you. And by all means, give it a try. And we appreciate you doing so at audibletrial.com slash good seats. And again, you're going to get your free uh, audiobook download. You can cancel it any time. And again, even if you cancel it, you can keep that book as long as your device exists. So again, we appreciate it. Give it a try. audibletrial.com slash good seats. And now... Back to our conversation. You mentioned 1973 is kind of your earliest, right? So I always dreamt of being able to find some footage from 1967 and 1968, right? Which is when CBS, you know, went all in on both of the, you know, the National Professional Soccer League and then the NASL in 1968. Uh, and Jack Whitaker was on those broadcasts and, uh, you know, Danny Blanchflower was on those broadcasts. I I read about it. I see some various interesting articles about, uh, you know, and some shenanigans, apparently some of the, the referees, you know, maybe uh, faking some uh, some uh, injuries or calls so that the uh, insertion of uh, commercials could have been done. And I'm sure these games are all lost to history. But you wonder if CBS in the archive somewhere might have an old copy of some of that Mary Machado okay. game, you know, those kinds of things.
0: Uh, again, CBS was not the best at recording games, and, and, and I can tell you, if it were in the CBS archive, it would, it would have surfaced. Now, the, one game from 1968 has surfaced, and, and it was with Danny, I think Danny Blanchflower. It was an exhibition game between the Oakland Clippers and Dynamo Kiev uh played in in oakland um but i i don't even count that as an esl game because it was an exhibition and actually i think it was after the the clippers had already left the league they they had some kind of dispute with the league and so they had decided to go independent and then that was why they were playing these international games but i i, I can send that to you have i i haven't sent that you sent you that one I, that will be in the mail tomorrow morning if you like
1: well, let me, let me, all right, so let's go, let's go back to that. So I, I, I can't imagine I am the only one that uh, uh, still is interested in this stuff and, or doesn't necessarily think all the best stuff is out there uh, on YouTube. So I, I guess what I would, my only question to you would be, why wouldn't you put the, the, the games that you have back up on site and at least allow people who either can't find the games on YouTube or maybe have some, I mean, why not keep it up there and alive, especially given how. You know, the, the sport of soccer seems to become much more mainstream now. I, I think, frankly, this is my perception, right? There are more people who actually become curious about this sort of ragtag uh, uh, sketched history of the game that prior to MLS. I think the more the more MLS lasts, right, more people kind of get curious about like, well, what what came before? Uh, yeah, there
0: thing? certainly are some people curious about it. I just don't know whether sending out physical media, you know, sending out DVDs is really the way to go uh, in the future. I mean, nowadays, it's all about streaming. Uh, I mean, look, if I had the time, what I would do is just upload all of the games from my collection that are not on YouTube onto YouTube. Like, that would be simpler than than sending out all these you know physical disks. Um, you know, it's just a matter of time. And the truth is, at this point in my life, I've gone on to other things. Um, look, people ask me um, all the, a lot of times, what, what what's going to become of your collection? And I, I always say, look, I would donate the whole collection to the Soccer Hall of Fame if they had a real, real plan for doing something useful with the collection. I mean, if the Soccer Hall of Fame wanted to hire somebody or have an intern to, to, to take all the DVDs and upload them onto the Soccer Hall of Fame's website then people could go to the Hall of Fame's website and watch the games there or, you know, on YouTube. Uh, but from, from uh, what I understand, the Hall of Fame just isn't doing that. They're doing other things. I mean, especially in the last few years, they've been focused entirely on getting the museum up and running in, in Frisco. And by the way, I, I went to the Soccer Hall of Fame. I went to the opening weekend, and the museum is terrific. Um, I really hope people people make a pilgrimage there because I, I, the museum is actually better than the museum was in Ollanta. They've, they've used a lot of new technologies that um, – that are really exciting and fun, uh, you know. If the Hall of Fame came to me and said, "Look, we've got a plan for for you know utilizing your archive," I, I would say, "Sure, here have have them." Uh, at this point, but I haven't heard from them. Look, I'd love to see these games on ESPN Classic. I, I, at, at there's a story it's at at several points over the last uh, 18 years, I've contacted ESPN classic and told them, look, you can have my, my collection. I, I, would, I wouldn't have given them the original masters. I would have made copies for them. And most of the NESL games at this point are in the public domain. Um, except for the trademark of the New York cosmos, most of the trademarks have now expired. Um, you could show these games with, with. The, in some cases they are, they are known, the games are no, what are known as orphan works, which means that if Either either the game is in the public domain, or it's not clear who the copyright holder is, and ESPN Classic could just show show, show orphan works, and if anybody ever complained, they could take it down and say, look, we didn't know who, who owned this. Um, but here's the thing: the, 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 the program directors of ESPN Classic are not soccer fans. The last time I checked, it was the the, the program director was some like 30 year old kid who had no interest in soccer whatsoever. Um, I mean, I I remember having a conversation with him over the phone, and I said to him, well, you know, the MLS has has teams now that are using the NASL names, like the Seattle Sounders. He said he'd never heard of the Seattle Sounders. He had no no interest in MLS, no interest in in historic soccer. I mean – this is the, the the programming director of ESPN should be somebody like our age or older who who watched these games growing up and who and who has who has members which games mattered to people at the time they originally aired. That that's the person who should be in charge of programming at ESPN Classic. ESPN, uh, from I've talked to employees at ESPN and they say that well, ESPN Classic is just this kind of thing that you know, nobody really cares about. It's just this afterthought. Um, by the way, I, I tried to reach John Skipper. John Skipper, for many years, was the person running ESPN. He he was uh, a, a real soccer fan and, and and did a lot to help promote the game in this country by by getting soccer onto ESPN. I wrote him letters. I, I I called his office. He wouldn't take or return my phone calls. He wouldn't respond to my letters. You know, the programming director is not somebody who cares about soccer, and the people above the programming director, ESPN, are unreachable. So. That's that's why soccer is not on ESPN Classic. But by the way, I, ML, somebody somebody in MLS told me that MLS has tried to get uh, the early MLS Cups on ESPN Classic, and and again was met with the same resistance. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you remember the first MLS Cup was between DC United and LA Galaxy played in a rainstorm, and that was a that was a wonderful game. Uh, ESPN Classic was not interested in showing it, so. It's unfortunate.
1: Um, yeah, and I think, look, I, I, uh, it, it, uh, I, with all the the advent of streaming services, right? You think maybe ESPN Plus or some other, some other entity. But I, I want to go back to your your comment about the National Soccer Hall of Fame, right? And having been the one in Aniata and and uh, have not yet been to the the, the new one. Um, you know, I I also wonder, and I've said this on a couple of past episodes with some of our NASL guests. You know, I wonder if the uh, Major League Soccer's uh, Shall we say significant investment in bringing it back to life? Uh, and ironically, the Hunt family, right, which was you know the the originator or progenitor of the old original uh, North American Soccer League, right? With Lamar keeping the thing yeah, afloat, yeah. right? The idea yeah, of yeah. you know, right. So I, I can't imagine. There just seems to be sort of a convenient uh, uh, you know ignorance, I guess, of sort of what happened in the past. And I don't I don't understand why. You know, an entity like that wouldn't want to take you up on that offer because it's a treasure trove. You have essentially the video treasure trove of American soccer. You know, well, thank you. Summer. Yeah,
0: I hope it's a mystery to me, too. I mean, I, getting back to what I said earlier in the broadcast, I, look, people's tastes are different. There's some people who only care about what's happening right now. Um, they don't care about what happened as recently as 10 minutes ago uh, or, or certainly don't care about what happened 10 or 10 years ago or 30 years ago. Uh, there is a, a certain number of fans, fortunately, like you and me and others who do care about it and who like to relive those moments because it's it's fun to watch and it, we have an emotional connection to sports from the past. Uh, unfortunately, those people simply are not in position, the people people like us are not in a position to put these games on the air, uh, not to see us in classic. I remember I... I um, back when it was, what it was it, Fox Sports World? Before, FS1 is the Fox Sports Channel, but before F- what was it was called FS1, what, what was it called? It was uh, the, the, the Fox, Fox
1: Soccer Channel the, the, the for a Fo- while there,
0: right? Fox Soccer Channel, right. And, right, Fox Soccer Channel before Fox Soccer Channel was Fox Sports World. And, again, I contacted the programming director of those channels, and they, the guy who ran, uh, the programming director at Fox Soccer Channel was a Australian man, whose name, again, escapes me, who grew up watching First Division soccer in England on Australian TV. And so, surprise, look at what, the only historic soccer that showed up on this Fox soccer channel was old videos of old English first division games. That was, I remember 10 years ago watching, you know, old games from the FA cup in the 1970s on Fox soccer channel, because that's what he cared about. You know, people see, that that's the way these things seem to go. People don't want to put on games that they didn't care about when they were young. They, they, they getting tripped up on my words here. They only want to put the games on that they cared about when they were young, not the games that they didn't care about, which is which is just the way it goes.
1: Um, yeah. So, are what's going right, to so what's going to happen with your your uh, your collection? Is it basically going to be there for uh, any of the uh, small handful of visitors that you may invite up to your uh, to your place, or or is or do you think there will be a place where it ultimately goes uh, for for more to enjoy perhaps?
0: Uh, that all depends on, I mean, on the soccer hall of fame. I mean, if the soccer hall of fame uh, cares enough to do something with my collection, then it will go there. If it, if they don't care, then it's going to stay here. There's your answer. Um, you know, um, I, I don't see the point in sending the collection to the hall of fame. If it's just going to gather dust in a closet somewhere in Frisco, Texas, that doesn't, that doesn't seem to me. That seems to be pointless. Um, I mean, I've already provided the Hall of Fame with with a, a bunch of DVDs that they and they use clips from those DVDs um, for some of the uh, for some of the displays in the Hall of Fame. So some of my collection is in the Hall of Fame, you know, small parts of it. Uh, you know, it, look, it, not just the Hall of Fame. I mean, the U.S. Soccer Federation suddenly decided that they wanted to have a you know a huge historic presence on their website or on a separate website. I would give it to them. Uh, again, they, I'm easy to reach. If any of these people have an idea for how to use the web, the the, the, the video archive in a productive uh, manner that would, that would let everybody watch the games. I, I, I'll, I'm happy to cooperate with these people, but so far nobody has ever come to me with a proposal like that. Um,
1: well, this is uh, hopefully a bit of, uh, of an impetus to uh, perhaps get some folks to, uh, to do that because I, I, you know, I, as I've been in this, uh, a lot of a lot of our conversations have been oral history and, and uh, a lot of them, frankly, with uh, direct participants in this, especially in the realm of soccer. We've got a whole bunch coming up and, you know, we've had Kyle rode on. We've had Ricky Davis on. I mean, you know, Clive Torrey. I mean, Bobby Muff. I mean, just great, great stories and and memories and stuff. And and I, it is uh, it is a shame to let this history go uh, uh, forgotten, shall we say, uh, the uh and video is probably the the thing that, you know, most youngins today sort of understand and, and, and on a phone in particular, right? They could get access at any time. I mean, I'm amazed, for example, I, and I think there's, a, there's an anecdote here with, with music, right? My, my two teenage daughters, my, my older teenage daughter in particular amazes me every single day when she can tell me a, a song from like 1973, like an Elton John album cut. She knows the name of it, she knows sometimes the album of it, she can, she can she can sing most of the lyrics to it and it amazes me like how the hell do you know that, right? And it's 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 because Right. The ability on YouTube or Spotify, I mean, the the, the catalog of your right, which for many years, given media, you know, and the the limitations and the choices. Right. you not having TNT, for example, back in the day. Right. The ability to actually in many respects, everything is almost available on demand and it allows people once they're interested to go deep. And, and really long into, into the rabbit holes that really interest them. And I to me, that's fascinating. If I had had that when I was growing up, I you know, I'd probably be a much more well-educated and well-rounded person, I guess. But um, <laughs> I, I just think that today, you know, as, as all this stuff becomes digitized and or available, how do you not make this stuff available so that people can, as they discover and become interested, they can go and, and sort of access this stuff? That, to me, feels valuable, especially with what you've got.
0: I, I, look, I completely agree with you. Um, it, the answer is that it's going to take time and money to upload all of the videos, thousands of DVDs. It's going to take a lot of time and a lot of money to upload all of those to a streaming service, whether it's uh, a Hall of Fame website or YouTube. And, and I, I'm sorry, but I've got a lot of other things going on in my life right now, and I don't want to sit there for you know, hours and hours and hours uploading all this stuff if somebody else would like to do it. You know, somebody else can do it, but uh, uh, I'm, I'm willing to cooperate. I'm just, I, I, you know, <laughs> sorry, but I'm not willing to, to spend all that time and effort doing it. Um, it, it. Somebody else has to take the initiative. I, I've, I've done my part. I've found the videos and I've, archive them and they're there if, if somebody else needs to well, what's this well, what's the good sports analogy here is i somebody needs else needs to take the ball and cross the goal line with it
1: well look and I, and, <laughs> and, and I think every american soccer fan of a certain generation owes you a huge debt of gratitude and and i think you're absolutely right right to the ability to take it to the next level all right so how can people then if you don't have all your games and stuff listed anymore on your website and all that um how can people reach out to you uh to either continue this conversation, find their own sort of desires and maybe even order still a few, or maybe as our as our listening audience permeates uh, you know in the weeks and months as this episode gets out there, uh, somebody who can actually maybe make some of what we've discussed actually happen.
0: Well, I'll give you my I'll give you my email address. It's Dave Brett, uh, it's my first and middle names, D A V E B R E T T. Dave Brett at com. And you can reach me there, and I'd be happy to happy to talk with anybody who would like to talk about this. Um, yeah, uh, that seems to be the simplest way to reach me.
1: All right, and we we're, we're reluctant to uh, we're remiss to not ask you what is your day job? What have you moved on to in life besides this uh, ultimate passion? Right, which I can't imagine there would be anything else in 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 one's lifetime that would be more important than this.
0: Actually, strangely enough, there is something in my life that's more important than soccer and sports. I am an animal rights activist. I am a vegan. I think that what our society does to animals is absolutely horrible, and factory farms are a disgrace. Uh, And I have created a new nonprofit animal rights organization called Cruelty-Free Investing. Um, The the genesis of this project was that I went to my uh, financial advisor and told him that I wanted to to avoid investing in stocks which exploit animals, he said, great, give me a list of all the stocks that do that, and every time I buy stock for your account, I'll avoid buying one of those companies. And I went online and was startled to find that no such list existed. Uh, So I created a nonprofit organization. We went through every company on every major stock exchange, and we've now uh, categorized them as as companies which do or do not exploit animals. And if you go to our website, it's crueltyfreeinvesting.org. And you can click on the name of a company and see how that company uses animals. And if this is something you care about, and I hope that people do care, you can uh, uh, avoid investing in, in those companies uh that that's been you know my my uh passion in life um I'm a, a big pita supporter I'm a big supporter of a group called mercy for Animals and um yeah uh and by the way I I I was uh, uh, pleased to learn that some, there uh saw once a list of soccer players who are vegan like guys like Dwayne De Di, Rosario is a vegan he doesn't talk about it very much but uh i was pleased to see that I'm not the only soccer fan and who cares about this? Uh, that's that's been my uh, that's been where my life has been headed over the last few years.
1: No, I think that's through this animal rights group. And and, yeah. where, and where can people find out more about that? Did I uh, give the website again? It's yeah, sure. It's,
0: it's crueltyfreeinvesting.org. Uh, dot uh, And uh, you, you could also con- if you want to contact me on you can contact me through that site as well. Uh, that would uh, and I'm happy to talk about soccer with anybody.
1: <laughs> well, look, I I appreciate your talking with with, with me about this because I uh, again I you know I I saw the uh, the the great article that uh, Pablo Maro did for uh, uh, the Athletic uh, a couple of weeks back. Uh, at the Austin uh, local paper did something obviously uh, in around in and around the uh, relaunch of the uh, National Soccer Hall of Fame, and and having seen the name and uh, written more than a fair share of checks over the years uh I, and now having this podcast i figured you know there's there's a there's a, uh, a an opportunity here and a perfect excuse to have a conversation so i you know on behalf of all this i, I feel guilty
0: for having charged you I right? now okay from now on you're going to get dvds for free <laughs> well you want a game for me you don't have to pay me
1: well that that, that you heard it here for, first folks and and it, for our, our you know thousands i guess now our listeners uh we uh we appreciate that. I don't, I don't. You know. I don't know if Dave will extend the same uh, benefit to uh, our listeners. But uh, no, I
0: can't afford to can't send afford it to everybody that. else. Because then I would get. I would get besieged with requests for DVDs, which I do not have time
1: to make. Yeah. Well, look. I, this is. Again, I do. I thank you. I guess on uh, in a sort of uh, odd way. I do thank you for your uh, commitment to what I think, frankly, is a very essential piece of of American soccer history. And I hope. I hope. I hope, um, I hope uh, what you have suggested. Uh, Does materialize, right? I mean, if if there are repositories or places like the newly uh, uh, refurbished and and, and, uh, newly alive uh, Soccer Hall of Fame, I mean, what better place? And uh, and I, you know, I don't I'm ignorant of the politics. I, I think I'm aware of some of the possible sort of. Uh, feelings and or, uh, you know, uh, desire to sort of avoid, you know, uh, being uh, connoted with uh, quote unquote failure or or whatever. But again, this is all part of history. And and by the way, there is a soccer history that even predates the North American Soccer League. But that's, you know, for another time, right? So if that's going to be embraced in this Soccer Hall of Fame, uh, why wouldn't uh, the arguably the most successful attempt at professional soccer before major league soccer why wouldn't that at least be remembered as the the building blocks by which we enjoy uh, a very robust and hopefully uh, successful going for- forward professional league hi
0: right, well, why you're not going to get any arguments from me on that one i agree with you <laughs>
1: All right. Interesting conversation for sure. And uh, a situation uh, that you heard there that uh, needs to be addressed, don't you think? Uh, the idea that the uh, uh, the, the most uh, deep and uh, historically uh, uh, solid uh, trove of uh, North American Soccer League video uh, game footage uh, is sitting in someone's personal collection uh, in his home uh, and not in a place, let's say, like the National Soccer Hall of Fame, where it ought to be uh, and uh, shared uh, and uh, celebrated uh, is kind of beyond me. And I think, frankly, it's even beyond uh, Dave's uh, comprehension, too. Um, and, uh, I, you know, it, it's a head scratcher, uh, but it's an, also an amazing testament to uh, Dave's personal passion and, and uh, interest uh, in keeping uh, the uh, the history of the North American Soccer League alive. Uh, and uh, I, look, I think uh, there's probably some other footage out there. Uh, that will surprise us over time that will sort of uh, find its way uh, out there into the world. And uh, and I hope that uh, it could be uh, joined by uh, the rich uh, array of stuff that uh, that Dave has compiled and preferably in a sort of professional environment uh, where all of us as soccer fans uh, can enjoy it. Uh, and uh, hopefully maybe this uh, this uh, little conversation will uh, will spur some interest uh, a little bit further to do so. Now you heard uh, Dave has uh, essentially uh, kind of uh, turned off his website and and the list of all the great uh, uh, games and stuff that he has access to. Certainly there are a number of games uh, available out there on YouTube and more sort of being joined uh, uh, with them, uh, you know, by the week it seems. But uh, Dave's email address, if you want to contact him, uh, if there's a game you're looking for, uh, or perhaps there's uh, someone out there who can uh, maybe Uh, Figure out some ways here by which we can get uh, all of this footage uh, sort of out there uh, and digitized and shared, whether it's uh, under the auspices of a Hall of Fame or some other mechanism, some other mannerism, uh, whether that be, uh, you know, an ESPN classic or uh, one of these, uh, you know, dozens of of, uh, streaming uh, video services are out there. I mean, there's a, you know. Uh, maybe it's professionally uh, curated on YouTube somewhere where we can get this stuff out of uh, out of Dave's home for God's sake and, and out there into the world so all of us and more of us can enjoy it. Uh, Dave's email address is Dave Brett. That's D-A-V-E-B-R-E-T-T. Dave Brett, all one word at austin.rr.com. That's Dave Brett at austin.rr.com. I'm sure he'd love to hear from you, especially if you've got uh, some soccer memories and whatnot. And uh, and again, especially. If you think you've got some kind of uh, uh, inroads to perhaps on how we can uh, figure out a way to get uh, all this uh, great uh, videotape uh, digitized and out there into the world, uh, he and I and I'm sure a whole bunch of other soccer fans out there would uh, would love to sort of make that kind of stuff happen. Again, that's Dave Brett at Austin.RR.com. Uh, and uh, if you forget any of that stuff or you want some more information, and we'll probably have a couple of other things out there. Uh, on our website uh, for this episode, just look it up uh, at goodseatsstillavailable.com. That's the place not only to find this episode, but all of our past episodes, uh, all of our social feeds uh, at uh, Twitter. You'll find us at Good Seats Still. You'll find us on the Instagram at Good Seats Still Available. Uh, you will find us on uh, Facebook. We've got a little page uh, devoted to our show there. Uh, you can send us email. You can click from the website, or you can just send it to us directly at hello at goodseatsstillavailable.com. There's a whole bunch of different ways to reach us. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, and please, by all means, do so. Um, what else? Oh, I wanted to tell you quickly the, uh, the clip that you heard at the beginning of the show uh, was actually the first ever video that I bought from Dave. For God's sakes, it was uh, the uh, 19, let's see, it was uh, uh, September, no, it was July 5th, yeah, 1975, it was one of the uh, first games uh, that Pelé played for the New York Cosmos. Uh, It was a game against the uh, Seattle Sounders, Did you heard, and uh, Frank Lieber calling the action for CBS Uh, And I thought it was a a little great way to sort of uh, set up the show. So there's an example of some of the great video that Dave has. uh, And uh, there's uh, tons of it. Let's uh, let's see if we can get that out there into the world, shall we? Uh, And before we uh, go and send you off into the into the world uh, to continue on your uh, your day or your journeys or whatever else you're doing in your life. uh, We want to say one last bit of thanks to our friends, as always, at Podfly Productions. And in particular, Mr. or Dr. Shall we say Jerry Payne? Uh, who helps us put all of our uh, collected pieces together and uh, makes this show sound somewhat comprehensible each and every week. We thank him and Podfly Productions. You can find more about them at podfly.net. All right, I'm done. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Many great stories and uh, episodes to come your way. We appreciate your listening and uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, Until then, take care.